The Amazing People Podcast, episode 34. Welcome to the Amazing People Podcast, where ordinary people from all walks of life do amazing things in life and business, with your host, Chip Dizard. Thank you again for tuning in to this episode of the Amazing People Podcast. And uh, on today's episode, we are going to talk with Meredith Gould. Uh, she's a very a special person, and I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. She's very funny, witty. Meredith is a very witty person. That's what I want to say I, I get from her. Uh, she's right here in my hometown, currently in Baltimore. And uh, she runs uh, a hashtag. I shouldn't say runs a hashtag. She's an author, writer, speaker, Um You'll hear way, way more about her, especially if you look her up on Twitter. But she has really started the SOCOM. And I want to say this right. I hope I'm Chisokum. I want to say it correctly. It's C-H-S-O-C-M chat. So if you do a search on Twitter and and type in hashtag C-H-S-C-O-M, that's Church Social Media. And every Tuesday at 9 p.m., uh, she's been doing this and with other volunteers since 2011. So we talk about that. We talk about a lot more things uh, in the queue when it comes to church and social media, Social Media Sunday, and all of those good things. But first, I want to talk to you about uh, this podcast and the sponsors uh, by the Digital Ministry Academy, if you are looking to start a podcast as a pastor, I've had so many people call me and say they have been blessed by this program. So please do me a favor and check out Podcasting for Pastors. Just go to digitalministryacademy.com and then you'll see the link on there for Podcasting for Pastors. But before we talk to Meredith, I want to talk to you about the other segment that we have on this podcast. And I'm so blessed and fortunate to have my friend Muta Mwenya on it and he has a segment called the unrelenting optimist and you know it really is a great segment because it just goes to show you know it's easy to think of all the things that can go wrong in life but it's it's harder to think about all the good things I saw a quote the other day and I want to read it uh, to you and um, it was just so so good and it says giving up on your goal because of one setback it's like slashing your other three tires because you got one flat. So another, a lot of times that people think of optimists are just not realist. They're not keeping it real, you know? And I think that Muta brings a lot of value to this podcast, and I'm so glad that he is uh, here. So without further ado, let's listen to Muta. And then after Muta, you will go right in to our main interview with Meredith Gould. Hey guys, this is Mutamwenya from Mutamwenya.com, a blog that is dedicated to unrelenting optimists who know there is a big God who can use little us to accomplish big things for his glory. On my blog, I've written about the importance of adding value to people's lives. I've also written about the importance of mentoring the next generation. Today on this segment of The Unrelenting Optimist, I want to shift the conversation to you as the mentee. You know, finding mentors or coaches has not been an easy process. Uh, There's been times where I've reached out to some individuals and they've flat out said no uh, because of time or other commitments. 
Then there's been times where I've made the connection, anticipated good things, only to have the mentor come across as uninterested or unengaged. I've discovered that the success of a mentor-mentee relationship has a lot to do with the mentee. And so before you even search out for a new mentor, these are some things that you should know. There's some things that I should know and keep in mind. Number one, leaders are busy, so they don't have much time. Number two, leaders also have a lot on their mind, so they're not going to be thinking about me or my issues all day. Number three, leaders expect results. So if I'm harping on the same issues over and over, they'll soon disengage. And finally, leaders are organized, so they expect me to monitor my growth or have a growth plan. Because of my experience, I've created a mentorship success plan. This plan helps me connect with the right leaders and ensure that I make the most of our interaction without wasting either of our time. I want to share these six questions that I ask myself when I'm determining whether to reach out to a potential mentor or coach. So my mentorship success plan answers these six questions. The first question I ask myself is, why do I need a mentor or a coach? With this question, I'm able to identify exactly what areas I need growth in. Do I need growth in leadership, family life, business skills? Whatever it is, I need to know why I need to add this person to my life. The next question I ask myself is, who has experience in this area that I can learn from? At this point, I get to identify leaders or individuals who come with a level of authority and experience. The next question is, what is the best approach to learning from them? Here, I'm trying to determine how I can glean from this individual. Will I need to meet this leader in person, over the phone, or video conference? And if this leader is someone inaccessible in any of these areas, do they have a podcast or a blog that I can read? Then I ask myself, when is the best time to meet? In this question, I'm trying to determine what times or how often these desired meetings should be. I honestly need to be flexible here because the leader may have different times in mind that are more convenient for him or her. Next, how long will I need this individual? This question is helpful but not as important as those above. Like I said before, leaders are busy. Some may ask how long I expect them to be my mentor or to coach me. It would be good for me to have an answer for them. Lastly, I ask myself, what is my growth goal? I simply need to base the answer of this question in relation to question number one, why do I need a mentor or a coach? At the end of a specified period of time, how do I want to have grown? See, after these six questions have been answered, only then do I approach the leader to mentor or coach me. 
The response has been phenomenal. When I approach leaders with this plan, they're more than willing to serve as a coach or a mentor when they know there is a plan. Just a quick review of the questions. Number one, why do I need a mentor or coach? Number two, who has experience in this area that I can learn from? Number three, what is the best approach to learning from them? Number four, when is the best time to meet? Number five, how long will I need this individual? And number six, what is my growth goal? This mentorship success plan will put you on the right path to reach your growth goals with your mentor or coach. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter, I am Mutamwenya, or catch my latest posts on Mutamwenya.com. That's M-U-T-A-M-W-E-N-Y-A.com. Catch you on the next segment. Hello, I'm here with Meredith Gould. Meredith, thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you. Good way to start the day. Good, good, good. I wanted to talk to you about um, just Twitter and how you use Twitter basically for for social outreach um, and your hashtag that you started. Give me the backstory, how that even began. Okay. Well, the hashtag, first of all, everybody wants to know how to pronounce it. And, and I yes. pronounce it and got everybody else to pronounce it, just sock Okay, that's why I didn't say it, because I, I was going to say C-H. That's why I said, you know, I'm going to let you say it, and then I don't know. So yeah, say it just, again. Just suck them. So it's C-H-S-O-C-M, and it stands for Church Social Media. Um, and actually started the hashtag in 2011. Funny story behind that hashtag is, and this leads to my best, my pro tip for people who want to use hashtags for church events, is make sure you test them in advance. Um, Because you want to make sure you have a hashtag that's uh, short enough so it doesn't suck up uh, Twitter characters. And you also want to make sure you haven't inadvertently chosen a hashtag that means something else. So the first version, which I actually don't remember anymore, created a stream of porn in porn spam in Portuguese. Oh, God. Yeah. So I went to a friend of mine who speaks Portuguese, and I said, "Uh, what's this? And he started laughing. Actually, a Twitter friend, so I got an LOL. And he said, well, you you stumbled into an affectionate slang word for, and I went, oops, all right, well, we won't be using that. So came up with C-H-S-O-C-M and um, used that um, in in July 2011. Just put out the word, again, using Twitter, uh, that we were going to be using that for anybody who wanted to post content or conversation about church and social media, using social media to build church, to deepen faith, anything like that. And, and what I did to help generate a use for that hashtag was I'm, I use TweetDeck to uh, survey the kingdom all the time. Yes, good, and, good, good yeah, I have I'm one of these people with, you know, 15 different columns and I monitor all the time like a stock ticker. Um, but what I would do, what I did years ago to get this hashtag going was I would notice who was tweeting about the church and social media, and I would openly tweet them if I knew them, if I was following them, sometimes I'd send them a DM and I'd say, please use a hashtag Chisakam 
for content and conversation with church social media. So I did that pretty consistently. People uh, started to use the hashtag. And I would say within probably within two to three months, it was used, it became the universally recognized hashtag for church and social media. Now we're three years into it and I, and actually I think this is a good thing. People don't even know where it came from anymore. And, and that's the optimal thing. When something is just so woven into the fabric of communication that you don't even know where it started. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a blessing. It's like a, a, it's like a tipping point, almost a tipping point. Yeah. Well, and the tipping point happened pretty quickly. Um, uh, well, not so quick. Yeah, pretty quickly in the world of social media. It's in three months, two to three months. So when I looked at that, and I'm a sociologist by training, so I look at everything through that lens as well. When I saw that happening, I thought, okay, so what we're seeing here is a need that got met. So there was a need for people to start talking about how to use social media for church, for faith, and to find other people who were doing the same thing. Now, some of those people were in different forms of ministry, like youth ministry or bereavement ministry or um, religious education, faith formation. Other people were very involved with church tech, IT, you know, the people who were working on websites. But there was a community of people who were working in and around church communications um, who had no place to gather or no, well, they had a place to gather, which was Twitter, but they didn't have a means for identifying one another. Um, so that became the hashtag for that. Now, around the same time, I was in, and again, this is a classic story about how things happen on Twitter. I was in a conversation with um, people I have in my tweet deck column. I've labeled them faith buds, my faith buds. And one morning I was in a, a conversation in public with um, a group of people from, from different denominations, too, which is which was very cool. And we were talking about this whole issue of, well, how do we use, how do we use social media um, for ministry? And, what is, and we didn't even have the term digital ministry then, but it was really like, well, how do we use this to the best advantage we can to serve? Um, and I, and, and we talked about possibly having a tweet chat. Well, I went back and I contacted um, all the people in that conversation it was about three or four people, and I contacted them either through email or direct message. And I said, "Would you mind if I started a chat?" Now, anybody who's worked for the church or in and around the church, either as um, a volunteer or on a staff, knows that the person who volunteers gets the job. Right? Yes, we know. Yeah, nobody says. Oh, no, 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 no. You're volunteering. No, please let me do it. I would prefer to do it. Yeah. So again, classic, whatever happens online in, you know, in the flesh happens online. So I reach out to these people and say, would anybody mind if I start a tweet chat? No, go ahead. You do that. So um, we had our first tweet chat July 11th, 2011. I don't, I could go back into the archives. I probably should have before I got on this call. Uh, and see how many people attended. But it was uh, three years ago. And so started that. I started that tweet chat. Um, and what I did, and I tell this story because I think it's really uh, 
an important um I think it's it's useful for people who want to get into online community management because I've also been an online community manager for other communities and I kind of learned this the experiential hard way. Um, what I decided to do was I knew from observing other Twitter-based chats that I had a couple of options and one was to really keep a tight grip on the chat um, until Jesus comes again in glory, you know. Or I could um, let other people or invite other people to moderate the chat. And I chose to take the middle route. I knew, because uh, I'd been involved with a chat community where they went immediate, almost immediately from someone starting a chat to rotating moderators, and the chat never quite came together. I was also involved for many years with a chat where the person who started it won't let anyone else moderate it. And I knew that I didn't, I wanted to do something, you know, more balanced. So what I decided to do and what I did was for the first, I'd say for the first nine months, um, and it was nine months, I didn't choose it symbolic, didn't choose it to be nine months, but symbolically it ended up being, that's how long it turned to, you know, how that's how long it took to gestate this baby. For the first nine months, I moderated every weekly chat, and I set up a script. Um, I set up the form. Uh, we always open with prayer. We always close with prayer. I thought that was really important, and I believe it's really important because as people of faith, we always need to stay anchored in that faith and remember why we're gathering and who we serve. And over the years, people have said, you know, this is the most welcoming, friendly chat and i really truly believe it's because we do uh, open and close with prayer um, the other thing i was very uh, committed to doing was keeping it making it and keeping it an ecumenical chat i um i was raised jewish and i'm a convert so i you know crazy me i take seriously that we are all we are all one in christ jesus thing Mm -hmm. And because I wasn't raised Christian, I sometimes look at what I call the internecine battles, you know, the family food fights that go on within and between denominations. And I think people are nuts. Let's just get along. I mean, you're serving the same Lord. What's the problem? Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, you know, I decided no, this is going to be an ecumenical chat, that it was going to be across denominations, because the issue is really using technology. It's really using online digital technology. It's a tool. It's not, and to understand that we're talking about using the tool, this is not a place to get doctrinal or theological or all that. Mm -hmm. so, no, no, I just wanted to interrupt you real quick, Meredith. I think that's a great um Really, because there's a lot of people who have no clue what uh, online chat is, and some people who are new to Twitter, they have no clue because you'll have the you know Q1 and then A1, and yeah. you know I kind of had to learn years ago. I said, like, "What in the world?" I see someone's timeline. What is A1? And I go follow it. So, how long? So, did it take a while for people to get the grasp of it? Well, yes, uh, yes, and no. I mean, one thing, yeah, we use. T topic one and we actually don't I haven't asked people to respond with uh, you know answer a one or whatever what I did early on and it's on the blog I also set up a blog to support the chat and to archive transcripts so anybody can go on that blog and and look at transcripts going back three years by topic 
Um, and also what I, what's on our blog is, and it's also on SlideShare, so it's really easy to find, is a guide to uh, tweet chats. Um, so right on the blog, and, and I would say for big, I actually still do it today, I did it last night, um, right before the chat, um, I put up a tweet saying, are you new to tweet, Twitter-based chats, check out this guide. And it helps people, excuse me, I'm going to cough, <coughs> it, it helps people understand how to use the technology and what the protocol is, and I also add my favorite thing, which is, don't make me don't make Jesus weep by being a jerk. jerk. You yeah. know? <laughs> I, I saw that when you signed off. That was epic. And um how do you do it? Because it's every Tuesday night. And I know people have families and people yeah. do stuff and to do it for nine months and this is volunteer based for you too. So I mean, yeah. this is a lot of work, Meredith. How how do you even stay consistent with it? Well, ministry, you know, I, I've been involved with church communications for well over a decade, you know, back in the, back in the day when we were printing quarterly newsletters and websites were in Dreamweaver, you know, um, and, um, and we use clip art with the worship bulletin. I mean, uh, oh, yes. the sad, the sad, ugly days. Yes, yes, yes. I remember um, those days. Yeah, so I've been involved with church communications a long time, and I've been involved with other ministries in the church. Um, and I have my big, uh, you know, choir saying "Angels Came Down" moment when I was working on a church. I was on a church staff as a part-time pastoral associate for communications, and one of my colleagues, actually the youth minister, said to me, "Well, Meredith, communications is your ministry." And in that moment, I realized, yeah, you know, this just a, this is a ministry, and it's it's an essential ministry of the church. So that shifted my attitude about it. So, I I I do feel, and I say it not as churchy church jargon, um, but as as really the way I feel. I do feel, and I do believe, I've been called to this ministry. I I thank God for the gifts that I've been given in terms of being able to write and communicate and teach, and. Um, and I love to encourage and support people. I believe that's a gift because left to my own devices, I would probably want to be one of those, oh, leave me alone people. But I, I genuinely love to support people and being the best they can be and doing well. So it wasn't a burden at all. Um, I also don't have kids at home. So it's, you know, I, I didn't have to deal with any of that. What I did decide to do, and again, this goes to the strategy of how do you develop a Twitter-based chat and how do you keep it going for years, is that during that nine months, I really paid attention to people who were active, articulate, and generous participants. And I reached out to them through the back channel, started conversations with them, watched how they were in the community, and then uh, contacted them and said, how would you like to moderate this chat? And as a result, built a team of about four at the time, I guess the first year into the second year, the moderation team was about four people, again, from different denominations. Um, at this point, it is up to about six or eight people. Um, I, use, I use the Doodle scheduler to schedule um, so we have a rota, and um, so it's not burdensome. I mean, there are people who um, moderate the chat like once every eight weeks. I put out a, a quarterly schedule, and people choose sign up what they which Tuesday night they want to do it, and um, and that's the way it's worked. And, you know, and people get burned out, uh, 
and, and have other things going on. We had two people who were moderators during the first year, year and a half, who were absolutely wonderful and really helped build the community and then got very busy and one person changed a job and and this, that, and the other thing, and they rotated out. And and so, the again, this goes to people who want to be online um, community managers and also chat moderators, always keep an eye out for who who's coming up, who who's going to be the next cohort of people who are going to uh, participate. And, and I just added, uh, we're just adding like two or three people who are coming on uh, in July and August for the first time moderating and will be integrated into the ROTA after that. My goal, and I think this should be the goal, and yes, I use the word should, I think this should be the goal for any community uh, developer and community organizer and manager is, and this is my goal, is I, if I drop dead tomorrow, or even later today before I have to do any laundry, if I drop dead, this chat should just keep going. People should just be using the hashtag. Um, it has nothing to do with me. It takes mm -hmm. on a life of its own, and that is the joy to see that you know, as I said earlier, people don't even know how the hashtag started. Um, I would like to think that if I, you know, said, hey, folks, I just need to take a sabbatical or take a break, I could just, I could very easily, in fact, I know I could very easily just turn the chat over. Um, we have a Facebook page. Facebook is not my my uh, preferred social media personally, but I see the value of it for church communications and for community development. Um, David Hansen, who's one of the early moderators and is very, very active, he's an ELCA pastor and he's based in Texas, very, very talented. He's the one who came up with the Occupy Advent campaign and account and he, that happened during one of our uh, tweet chats. Um, he set up the Facebook page and three other people basically manage it. I mean, I have administrator status, but other people manage that. Um, there's a woman named Beth Felice, who's a, a church communicator for the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri. She's very interested in, in, in wikis. She's helped set up the Chisakam wiki, which really hasn't gone anywhere because it's so labor intensive and I'm I'm personally not that interested in doing it, and I keep putting out whenever people say we should. I go fine, go do it, and here here's all the administrative access codes. <laughs> Good. So you kind of focus, hone in on Twitter. You let other people do other social networks. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I monitor the other ones, but I I love Twitter. I I I say this all the time. I want to predecease Twitter. If Twitter doesn't exist, I don't want to live. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Take me home. Yeah, yeah. Twitter is a great network. Now let me ask you a few questions just about social media and churches because I know recently uh you were tweeting about social media Sunday. Now talk right. to me about I know the diocese did something with that or talk talk to me about no, the No, no, no. Okay, it wasn't a, it wasn't a diocese thing. Okay. It was a nationwide Okay. Effort. This is okay. Social Media Sunday, hashtag SM Sunday, is a classic example of what people can do when they come together online in community. Um, two women who participate in Chisakam Chat and actually met through Chisakam Chat, Carolyn Clement, who's uh, in a 
involved with a, an Episcopal church in Connecticut. Yes. I and Laura Lice Catalano was involved with an Episcopal church in Missouri. They met, they've never met uh, in the flesh. Um, I've actually personally met Laura when I was in Missouri, but they've never met in the flesh. They met on Twitter. They, Carolyn had a social media Sunday, came up with this for her church. She shared it during a Twitter chat. The two of them talked. Uh, Laura is one of these very innovative, I consider her one of the, the most innovative, talented um, church communications, especially digital ministry types on, in, in the mainstream uh, world of church. Um, and she thinks big. So she's like, okay, let's do this nationally. Let's get all Episcopal churches involved with Social Media Sunday. They picked a date. They, six months out, started a campaign. They used uh, the Episcopal Communicators group on Facebook. They used their networks on Facebook. They certainly used Twitter, uh, the Chisakam chat. They put up blog posts. Um, they created manuals and materials and you know, really got people buzzing and talking about, okay, let's make, um, I guess it was June 29th, Social Media Sunday. And the point was, and it's very interesting because I've seen some of the post-event commentary on it, and one was just so crazy off base. I had one of those, I must turn off, the, I must turn off my computer or my brain's going to explode kind of moments. Um, the point of Social Media Sunday was not necessarily to say, Woohoo! Uh, tweet during worship. The point of Social Media Sunday was to create a safe space for learning about how to use social media and to provide permission for people who would have been using it or were using it surreptitiously to use it openly. So they were getting permission. Part of the deal was um, having the presider open by saying, we invite you to do this. You know, you're inviting, we're inviting you to tweet or post or take pictures of and post to Instagram, whatever moves and inspires you during worship. Share this. If, if church is important to you, if your faith has meaning for you, let other people know about it. Because the reality is that most people um, have a lot of friends who are not church people. Yep. Now, exactly. we are what I call brand ambassadors for our faith. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that, and then the other piece of it was to uh, provide tutorials and help for people who were, you know, techno nervous um, and wanted to learn how to do it. So, for example, when Carolyn Clement first did it, I thought this was one of the most brilliant and hilarious things that I had heard in a long time. They set up a help desk during their social hour. Nice. I know. Nice. So it's like, nice. Have coffee. Have donut. Come get help. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, um, I, yeah, last Sunday in, in June, I was in Harlem and, uh, African American church and they had it and I didn't even know about it really until I was presenting at a conference the day before about faith and technology up in Harlem in New York. And we were at the church called first Corinthian Baptist church and the pastor took selfies. I wrote about it and it was just, they had cards and it was just, it was an experience I've never had before at a church and it was well, so right. different. It was nice. Yeah. It's great. Well, and the thing I always say, uh, and I write about this, I talk about this when people, you know, give me opportunities. Like, you're giving me an opportunity when I speak at conferences. I say, people who are keen 
on digital ministry, those of us who understand the value of digital, we are not saying this replaces face-to-face -face community, face-to-face -face worship, coming to the table of the Lord to break bread. We're not saying that. It's not either or, it's both and. It's using a tool that makes church, be, we get to be church beyond the building. We get to be church, not just do church in a building. And I have a particular um, commitment to people with disabilities and the homebound. Um, I've only started to talk about this the past couple of years, but I've had a chronic illness for over 20 years. And there are times where I, I can't move. Mm -hmm. When I, one of the reasons I love Twitter so much is that when I first learned how to use Twitter, and this is back in 2007, I'm a semi-early semi adopter, okay? Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, once I figured it out and learned how to use it, I was able to go to conferences, attend meetings, be in conversation with people all over this country and across the world in ways I could never do physically, either because I physically, as a health issue, couldn't do it or because I simply couldn't afford it. And one of my best stories is I attended a conference, this is back in 2008, I think, Online, I used the hashtag. I attended, um, you know, virtually attended a conference, lurked, and then got into conversation with a conference that was going on in Boston. I was living in New Jersey at the time, and just got into chit chatting, retweeted some stuff people were tweeting, and then talked about the tweets, you know, that type of thing. I get a tweet from someone who's saying, "Hi, um, where are you sitting? I'm in the back of the room. I'm wearing a red jacket. You want to have lunch?" Wow! And I tweeted back, "All oh, this is in public." I'm sitting in New Jersey. I'm in my pajamas. Um, you know, <laughs> wow. would, love to, would love to meet you sometime. And I'm telling you, Chip, in that moment, the world opened up. And I realized mm -hmm. that we, and then going back to church, a lot of people assume that the homebound or the elderly know. There are people who are at home who have... Um, exactly. You know, you know, who just can't go, or shift workers. Yep. Yep. People who or churches that don't provide child care, people who can't or who would love to participate on a committee but can't get to church Wednesday night. Exactly. Exactly. So, so committees, scripture study, Bible study, prayer groups, all that can be it can happen with and through social media. It does not stop it from happening face to face. It just supplements it. And I think that is the I think that's the power and glory of it. Do you think that the church was a late adopter to this whole social media? I mean, are we? Oh, yes. Yeah, of course. Obvious <laughs> question. Obvious. But I mean, where do you see where we, we can grow from the social media? Sundays? Because it seems like and, and let me let me just say this. I like to see. I like to see like people like you, Carol, and more women. And, and I really, because, you know, it seems like churches are run by a lot of men. And it seems like this is a movement by women. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I just noticed that. I said, wow, it's a lot of yeah. women to take the lead on this. Yeah. Well, it's it, part of it is because, and this is funny, again, as a sociologist, and I used to teach sociology of gender um, many, many years ago. I was a college professor for a decade. Um, and a part of it is a kind of a sociological and anthropolo anthropological reality is that women are better at multitasking and social and really online and especially Twitter um, involves multitasking. You have to be able to do several things at once, watch, listen, respond, 
um, and participate, you know? So women are a little, are, are a lot better at multitasking. Women are not as linear as men um, in terms of the way women approach projects and think through projects. Um, and social media, because it's all online and can be done with a smart, use, you can use a smartphone or tablet, you don't have to be chained to a desktop. Um, it's very nimble in that way. Um, you know, the church, I, when people talk about, oh, it's the church-related doctors. Like, you know the joke about the church. I mean, the, one of the many jokes about the church is, oh, well, the, we're the church. We'll get back to you in 500 years. You know? <laughs> um, True, when true. I when I watched what was going on during Social Media Sunday, um, and my husband, it's really funny, he said to me, um, he was preaching, presiding, that Sunday he said, um, are you, you going to come to church? I said, uh, no, I'm actually going to watch Twitter all morning. I want to see what's happening with this. And I watched it, and I really got goose flesh uh, when I was watching this because I realized I was seeing a tipping point happen in real time. Mm-hmm. I saw people... Uh, tweeting who had, I mean, it just, it was really fascinating and inspiring because it, you know, it's, it's a glorious moment when we're at a point in history and we can stop and get to that level of kind of meta consciousness and say, wow, I'm seeing history happening. Yeah. This is history happening now. And, and so I really do believe social media Sunday was a tipping point. What's happened, what's going to happen next, I hope my prayer is that, and I know Laura, Laura and, and Carolyn, Carolyn tweeted this last night during the chat, chat, to have it go nationwide and have it go across denominations. That a lot of people thought, oh, this is owned by the Episcopal Church, um, but not really. And one of the questions we asked during last week's chat uh, was how many people noticed people from other denominations tweeting with that hashtag. And there were a lot. And since then I've had a couple of people call me, uh, from ELCA, uh, United Methodist church, also the Roman Catholic church. I had a conversation with a reporter yesterday, um, asking, okay, you know, what's happening and, and can this, what is it? What does this mean? You know, what does this mean? Yeah, and and how does it fit into the the, the church text? So you have so it sounds like we have a lot of different sectors. This is what I love about church social yeah. media. We have technology. Then we have the people who are you know the like like I said me who are more of the technology. The people who run the AV stuff. And yeah, then right. people like you who are communication professionals, and it's so broad. And I think to me, Twitter kind of brings everybody together. That's how I met you on Twitter. So right. you can people that you may not even ever go to church with or may not even see, even though we're living in the same city, that you can connect with them. I mean, that's the beauty to me about this whole social media. Oh, exactly. And at this point, now, you know, keep in mind, I've been doing, I've been on social media stuff till, since 2007. I mean, at this point in time, I've met a lot of people that I, that I met first through Twitter. And it, what's fascinating is at this point in time, and I tell people, I actually say this in my book, The Social Media Gospel, that my first social media platform was LinkedIn. Um, and at 2014, I would say by 2013, uh, my closest, most valued, most loved, most cherished friends and colleagues have come through social media. Wow, wow. Yeah, wow. wow. 
all my work, all my clients, because I'm an independent consultant, independent contractor, uh, I work with churches, I work with mission-based organizations, I also work, uh, I'm a community manager for the social media health network for the Mayo Clinic Center for Social Media, I manage there, that um, community. Um, all those, all those gigs came because I connected with people through social media and built those relationships over the years. Wow. And without that, you don't think, I mean, let's just fast forward, you know, rewind, like, you know, before 2007, you know, if you're an independent contractor, consultant, how would you get those contacts or? Well, it's, you know? it's, yeah, right. Well, word of mouth, it's always been word of mouth, but what social media does is word of mouth on steroids, you know, I mean, I haven't used a resume or a Vita in years. And in fact, I, I w went over to one of the academic institutions here in there in Baltimore. I went and had lunch with one of the deans and blah, blah, blah. And he looked at and he was clearly very uncomfortable with digital ministry and online stuff. And it was just fascinating. I, I tried to behave myself as best I could. But he said to me, do you have... Do you have a Do you have a curriculum vita? And I looked at him and I laughed. I almost laughed, snorted. I, I said, I said, oh God, no. I said, no, 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 no. I said, just jump on LinkedIn. You'll find everything you need to know about me. Wow. I, I've used that as my virtual resume for for years. And and basically, I know it sounds probably disgusting and arrogant. You might want to edit this out or not. Yeah. But here's the thing. In terms of the work I do and my passions and my commitments, I don't want to work with anyone who's afraid of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to work with people who maybe are nervous about it or afraid of it, but are coachable. And they say, I know I need to learn this. I know we need to do this. Help me, teach me, guide me, support me. No, that's not edited out. That's in there because I think that's that's where I think we know we're moving as a culture. And people who are not with that program are going to be, you know, left behind. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and we're not talking rapture. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and, well, and it, it's very funny because I was just, I just gave a keynote at a conference at Virginia Theological Seminary in June and um, during the Q&A one woman um, asked me from the back of the room she said um, well I understand what you're saying and I know it's important but so many of our people are older what do we do about them oh wow I know and I say so my response I always get that question mm -hmm. my response my two my First response is always, first of all, what do we, what do you mean by older? Mm -hmm. Because we already know from the data that we have people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s using digital platforms. So the first question is, what do you mean by older? And the second question is, how do you know they're not using it? Are you making an assumption? And then the third question is, how many people we're talking about? Because usually when they start with this, we have to we have to have a, a line item budget of forty five thousand dollars a year for our print magazine because our older people won't go online. And when I consult with churches and at the judicatory level, like dioceses and synods or presbyteries, and I say, "How many people are we talking about?" Oh, five. Wow. Uh, yeah, they, they come up with a downloadable PDF. And by the way, why don't you grab something out of? out of the church refrigerator and make a home visit because really it's not that they want to read your publication. They want company. Mm -hmm. Go make a home visit. That's mm -hmm. what that's about. 
So, so this woman says that, and I, so I went through the whole thing about, well, don't make assumptions about older people. And then I said what I always wanted to say in public, which I did, and I said, okay, so here are their options. They can learn it, ignore it, or die. Wow. The whole room cracks up laughing, and she's nodding her head. Yeah. So later, I go on to look at the hashtag for that conference, and somebody tweeted at Meredith Gould said, learn it or die. Wow, wow, wow. That's an epic answer, Meredith. That's probably the best answer. I just wrote it down, <laughs> you know, because we all get that. And um, there's people that we say, well, my grandmother is not on this, so she needs a printed this. And, and we understand that, and I understand that, but... You know, grandma, even my mother-in-law, and she just got an iPad. We showed her how to download lessons on our iPad. You know what I mean? So she's learning it. Well, they want to use it. They want to use it. It's just learning. I mean, my dad, my my father, blessed memory, my father died in 98, but he was like the first guy on his block to get a computer, and he was on my case to get the computer when I was still had my IBM Selectric that I thought was all fancy because I could change the font balls and it corrected. Wow. Yeah, very, very advanced. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate it. How can people get in contact with you and get your book and all your information? I am the easiest person on the planet to find. You just Google my name, yes. Meredith Gould, <laughs> and I pop right up. Okay. Um, if you go to my website, I, I really, I'm very, very, uh, of all the books, I'm, I'm on my 10th book now, not to brag, but I'll brag. Um, <laughs> um, of all the books I've written over the years, The Social Media Gospel, is my current favorite. Um, I think it was the right book at the right time with the right publisher. Liturgical Press was, is a wonderful publisher, and they were wonderful to me. They happened to be uh, Benedictine Catholic. And I said to the publisher there, I said to him, do you track, are you able to track sales by denomination? He says, no, we don't have that capability. I said, well, I wish you did, because I think if you did, you would find that the majority of sales, these books are being bought, this this title is being bought by mainline Protestants a lot more than it's being bought by Catholics, which is kind of interesting in another story. But, yeah, so I would love people, the social media gospel, you could read it while you're watching TV. I intentionally wrote it, very, very short chapters. Um, I wrote it with thought bites at the end of each chapter so people could uh, think through some other issues. It could be used if you have a communications team or you want to set one up. Um, you can use some of the questions to get into those conversations with people at your church. Um, so, and that you can, if you jump on my website, you can order it through there or you can just order it on Amazon or something like that. But I'm on Twitter all the time. My, my handle's at Meredith Gould. Um, I don't follow everybody back, but I do interact with whomever interacts with me. And that's a whole nother conversation when people get irritated that you don't follow people back. My gosh. <laughs> right. Well, right. And for community <laughs> managers, I just worked on a I just worked on a strategy for a client um, in terms of a, a Twitter strategy where they're starting a Twitter account. My strong recommend was do not follow people back. Um, because it was an institution account, it didn't make any sense 
um, there were only, it would gum up the stream in, in ways that they really, I didn't want them to have. Yeah. So yeah, the follow back, I mean, it's kind of like grow up, get over it. Don't take it personally. Lift yeah. it up to the Lord or put it at the foot of the cross. Okay. You know? <laughs> that is the best. Another tweetable right there because I, I've had some people say, Chip, you didn't follow me back. I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? And I don't feel some kind of way if people don't follow me. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. But anyway, you said keep it at the foot of the cross. That's where we'll keep that, right? <laughs> You know, so, hey, Meredith, I really appreciate it. Uh, all these links and things like this will be in the blog post uh, when this posts. So I really appreciate your time coming on and, and talking about all the social stuff. 